And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and Oscar Piastri will definitely be a McLaren driver in 2023, with the Contract Recognition Board finally ruling in its favour in the dispute with Alpine. So why did McLaren win the tug of war? And what does it mean for the rest of the F1 driver market? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more is Scott Mitchell-Malm. Well, it's taken a while, but the Contract Recognition Board has spoken and it unanimously decided that Piastri is contracted to McLaren, despite Alpine's repeated insistence it had Piastri signed up. Scott, you've been all over this story for some time and you've been charging around the Zandvoort paddock today, getting more background on exactly what has been going on behind the scenes. To me, it just seems like a comedy of errors on Alpine's part. Yeah, it's certainly um, the more we the more we learn, the more that is uh, exactly how it comes across. It's been a case of initially wanting to give Alpine the benefit of the doubt when we were hearing from them at the very start of the summer break and hearing about how Alonso had led them on and then moved to Aston Martin secretly and how they uh, had spent all this time and money on Oscar Piastri only for for him to then uh, try and find an alternative, even though he had a valid contract. That's what Alpine said all along. They've been questioning in his integrity. They've been wondering why he would even want to leave. Um, and then the more, the longer it's gone on, the more that their uh, language has changed and it's more sort of shifted towards a moral argument rather than a legal one, the more it sounded a bit like Alpine's position is shaky. And worse than that, now that we've actually got into the meat of it, we found out that McLaren actually had this deal done with Piastri in early July. Uh, and all this time, Alpine's seemingly been unaware and to just let this situation play out absolutely catastrophically from their point of view. So we've got a situation where... A month or two ago, we were all talking about how Alpine had this phenomenal three driver into two problem and they've somehow managed to lose arguably the two best drivers of that trio. And no disrespect to Esteban Ocon, but in Alonso, you've got a two-time world champion still at a very high level. And in Piastri, you've got a potential megastar based on his stellar junior career. And Ocon is a good, potentially very good Grand Prix driver but perhaps not as exciting as either of those two options but that's the one that Alpine is left with because they've mishandled this situation so badly. Let's delve a little bit into the details Scott. The timeline is something that's really caught the attention because 
the CRB statement that was issued by the FIA mentioned that Piastri's contract was signed on July the 4th, which is the Monday after the British Grand Prix. So that created some quite big questions about the exact timeline, not just for Piastri's deal, but also relating to Daniel Ricciardo's departure from the team. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's stick with the... We'll use July the 4th as the starting point. I think there are some more important... There are some other important dates before then, which we can talk about in a little bit. Uh, but let's start with that. So July the 4th, Monday after the British Grand Prix, Piastri signs a F1 contract with McLaren. He doesn't sign a deal guaranteeing him the 2023 race drive. He McLaren signed him on, to, on July the 4th for the 2023 and 2024 seasons with the exact role to be determined at a later date because at that point... Daniel Ricciardo still has a binding contract for 2023 and as much as it's the ultimate intention of McLaren to ideally replace Ricciardo with Piastri they know that contractually that might not be possible so that's what happens on July the 4th July the 13th I think I'm having to pull this date from the top of my head Daniel Ricciardo is visiting the McLaren factory at Woking and puts out a statement reiterating his commitment to the team insisting that he's not going to walk away from Formula One um, we have a few races around this period Ricardo continues to struggle then we get to the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend and over the course of that weekend it is increasingly speculated that McLaren is courting Piastri this was something that had actually come out a couple of weekends prior we did a story after the Austri- Austrian Grand Prix um, about this but the the around the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend on the Wednesday before that Sebastian Vettel tells Aston Martin he's going to retire on Thursday Aston Martin announced Vettel's retirement now we know that that then triggered formal no, uh, discussions between Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso to steal Alonso away from Alpine instead of him re-signing without with Alpine on a one plus one contract as had been widely expected and Alpine assumed would be happening that deal gets done um, over the course of the Hungary weekend very early on Monday Aston Martin announced that Alonso will be switching to to their team in 2022 fairly soon after that it becomes clear that Alpine's favoured replacement is Oscar Piastri but there's a twist because Alpine realised that actually um, he might not be available uh, or rather wants to go elsewhere but this then sets us on this path that's only been resolved this week where Alpine are adamant that Piastri has a binding contract to drive for Alpine next year. McLaren have stayed quiet the entire time, but the Piastri camp clearly believes that Alpine's position is wrong. And then obviously we got to a a week or so ago, just before the Belgian Grand Prix, where McLaren, seven weeks after signing Piastri to a 2023 contract, formally announces that it has agreed Daniel Ricciardo's departure from the team now we'll obviously I suspect this is probably going to be your next question Ed but that seven week gap and all that comes in between it between Piastri joining McLaren and us finding out officially that Ricardo's leaving I mean it's obviously set tongues wagging hasn't it yeah very very much so I think ultimately with the whole thing with Ricardo he knew he was potentially on the way out we've spoken about this before he knew they were talking to other drivers including Piastri and although there was this this element of the timeline where it looks like Ricardo's had the seat taken away from him and he's not told for longer than it, it should be it's not quite that simple is it so it's just one of those things that these things don't play out in quite as linearly as people 
would normally expect them to. So McLaren got to one point with Piastri and then they had to sort out Ricardo. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So Ricardo uh, Ricardo said on Friday at the Dutch Grand Prix that uh, he wasn't aware that Piastri signed his deal on July the 4th. Um, but I understand at that time, Ricardo was aware that McLaren was in discussions with Piastri. Uh, more importantly, that deal, as I mentioned, was not explicitly for a race seat for 2023. I, I understand that Piastri's deal, which we now know because of the CRB covers at least 23 and 24, had flexibility depending on whether Ricardo saw out his full three-year contract. So Piastri, I understand, knew there was a chance he would only be McLaren's reserve driver in 2023 before taking the race seat in 2024 because this basically allowed McLaren to get Piastri under contract, which was absolutely crucial, and then have time to discuss the plans for 23 with Ricardo. So once the early termination of Ricardo's contract was agreed, McLaren knew that Piastri could and would replace him and crucially had him under contract so could just slot him into place. But it would be wrong to say that Piastri was signed on July the 4th and McLaren only told Ricardo seven weeks later or something like that. that. That didn't happen. There was a scenario here where if McLaren and Ricardo couldn't agree an early exit, that Ricardo would have raced for McLaren in 2023 and Piastri would have been on McLaren's books as well, but as a reserve driver, ready to take Ricardo's seat in 24 when Ricardo was out of contract. So it's aggressive from McLaren, like we've said all along with the way they've handled it. I certainly wouldn't say that they've been um, particularly kind through this. They've not been charitable, but they're not really obliged to be. What they have been is uh, honourable in terms of doing right by Ricardo's contract and then just setting themselves up to be in as good a position as they can be. They're basically covering all bases. Um, I don't really think there's anything wrong with that, but I, I understand and appreciate that there are some diehard Ricardo fans out there that obviously feel differently. Well, Daniel Ricciardo said quite a few times he doesn't like the fact it's gone this way, but he feels the dialogue back and forth has been absolutely fine. Push comes to shove, he knows he hasn't performed and he knew that made him vulnerable. Let's get a little bit more into Piastri's deal. I remember when we were at Spa in the Saturday press conference that Omar Safnauer, the Alpine team principal, was in, he referenced a deal that Oscar Piastri signed in November 2021. And he claimed, when I asked him about it in the press conference, that this was a contract that bound Piastri to Alpine for 2023 and 2024. Now, the Contract Recognition Board has ruled that this was not a contract, certainly not a binding contract for Formula One, but there was something. So can you explain exactly what Alpine thought a contract was and why it wasn't? Uh, yeah, I think um, to really get into that, I think it's only fair to just... Um give our F1 journalist colleague Dieter Renkin a shout out because um, he he has got hold of the the CRB verdict in full which and shared shared quite a lot of the details within that um, which basically there, there's obviously a lot that's new in there and a lot of it confirms um, what we had already heard so the feeling coming into this CRB verdict was that Alpine clearly felt that Piastri had signed something in November last year that constituted a contract for 2023 with an option for 2024. Um, but this was heavily disputed, clearly. Clearly, Piastri's camp believed there was no such thing and McLaren wouldn't have done what they did 
without being sure. And actually, I was speaking to Andreas Seidel and Zach Brown about this on Friday afternoon, or actually Friday early evening. Um, and they both and 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 Zach said that 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 Piastri's management, Mark Webber, they'd been very very transparent through the whole process. McLaren had a very very good idea. They knew exactly what had and hadn't been done and agreed between Alpine and Piastri, and um, what they themselves had signed with Piastri. Obviously, now we know in early July. So McLaren were basically about as com- as confident as you can be about a matter that does ultimately come down to a sort of subjective view on on, on something, an interpretation of contractual phraseology. And as it turns out, with good reason. So that brings us to um, uh, what, what Dieter has discovered, and fair play to him for this, uh, which is that basically uh, in November last year, uh, Piastri signed... Um, sort of the, the the terms of an agreement for for, for, for 2022, which was then um, meant to translate into a full contract for his reserve driver role, basically. And then beyond that was the idea of um, having the sort of longer term contract in place. And at this point, obviously, Piastri has signed it and, his, and Weber is chasing Alpine to get this ratified and put into a formal contract. But it doesn't happen. It just got... Delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, really poor from Alpine's side to be a, a, an organisation like Alpine and within the Renault group to just not be properly staffed so that this could just be done. Um, and it was just handled chaotically from there. Uh, the, the the deal for 2022 got, I want to say ratified, but that might even be too generous a term, to be honest. Basically on the eve of the 2022 season, Um in the form of a document that Piastri had previously signed, apparently then being edited to then have like terms of agreement or legally binding terms of agreement or something like that at the top of the document, which really not sure would have been legally binding if it had ever been challenged in court. Um, And I don't think that this process particularly endeared Alpine to Weber and co. Um, But then beyond that, it then took a while for the Alpine to then present a longer-term proposal for covering 23 to 26. So a long-term deal, certainly, but one that the contents of which really, again, did not uh, get received very kindly at all by Piastri's camp. Uh, involved what we reported uh, a couple of months ago now, maybe a bit longer, of a plan to put Piastri at Williams on a two-year deal uh, with a break clause halfway through that two-year period. Um and then with the intention of putting out Piastri in the works team in 2025. So confirmation of what we had also interpreted recently, which is that Piastri did not have a guarantee for to drive for Alpine until 2025, um, especially if Alonso had signed the one plus one that he was offered and then they'd taken up the option to keep Alonso for 2024, then Piastri would have been at a back of the grid team for the next two years, the first two years of his F1 career. And this just wasn't good enough for Weber, I think that combination of it being a fairly, uh, I, I don't think that's a particularly good show of faith in Piastri from Alpine, um, but also off the back of this, you know, dragging their heels, not being very competent. Um, I don't think this process at all screamed, you're our guy, we love you, we want to, we, you know, we really want to make you feel wanted, we really have faith in you, you're going to be a superstar for us. Um, and at the same time, 
Um, Weber's obviously gone. Well, maybe I'll have a look at it and see what else is available because Ricardo's struggling over over at McLaren and immediately found someone off willing to offer Piastri a two-year deal, maybe even longer. We don't really know what what options there might be. Um, with a, with a team that arguably has a higher ceiling than Alpine and is probably a bit more reliable. So, yeah, that it's just. Um, you're right. I think you think you opened the podcast by describing it as a comedy of errors, and I think when you get down into those specific details, you see just how badly mishandled this situation has been. It's extraordinarily careless, especially when you've got this negotiation going on with Fernando Alonso. You think you've got Piastri there as the backup if you don't get him for next year and then you've not actually made sure you've done your due diligence and just got everything right and signed and sealed and there's been talk about the integrity of uh, Vosca Piastri etc but it's abundantly clear there was as you put it this dragging of heels over actually getting contracts together and the like so I don't think you can really blame them given the importance of the drivers but everyone says it's all about the car but it's about the car and driver the driver is probably the most significant performance component in the car in terms of they're the ones that extract the potential and to be so careless with multiple drivers is absolutely extraordinary and the cost of this error is massive for Alpine because it means that they've thrown away the money they've invested in Piastri in the past because they can't make good on that investment they've got to spend money fighting this legal case which they're having to pay for costs for they've then got to work out a way to replace the driver they don't have which is going to cost money as well as we'll get on to in a minute so it's just extraordinarily damaging for a team of this of this ilk and the thing I find most baffling is why were they publicly so vehement about it when they will have known they didn't have that strong a case they will have looked at it internally and okay, maybe they could convince themselves they had a moral case or something that Piastri was obligated because of what they'd done. But in terms of the legal case, it seems to be absolutely empty. Well, the only thing I'd say to that, Ed, is that the um, I, w- I would assume that the same um, legal advice that, convin- that told them that they had a really strong case was the same legal people that allowed it to happen in the first place. And I don't want to pin the blame on someone who, because it does sound like it was a colossally understaffed exercise and it was one person having to do an awful lot of work. And I know, I can imagine that situation entirely where you are just basically being ignored by your superiors and not being given the um, the info that you need or the time or the resource or whatever. So it'd be really unfair to single out a person by name and say, oh, this one's really incompetent. But, but what I mean is that if a legal department, because you have to, you, you should assume that an F1 team has a, robust legal department or legal counsel certainly someone if it's only one person I don't really know how these things work but if it's only one person you would think that they would be empowered and have everything they need to do the job properly but if you've let yourself get into a situation where you don't have that then then yeah the the person that advises you that the heads of terms terms of agreement term sheet whatever you want to call it constitutes a legally binding document just because you've changed some words at the top of it then that person or that group are absolutely going to think that they've got a case to begin with. And and then when you have Alpine trying to work out how to gain control of the situation again, then they're going to have the confidence of, yeah, we need to assert this position publicly because inexplicably, I, I just think they've been comp- totally, totally naive, but just inexplicably, they're absolutely adamant that they're in the right. And they stand by that. And I, the the bit about this that I'm really uncomfortable with, and I know that um, I know that some people disagree with this because 
they don't think that Piastri's been honourable and they think that they've, they either think he's stitched up Alpine or some people think he's stitched up Ricardo unfairly as if there's some unspoken honour between Australian drivers to never take each other's drives. Um, I just find it really unfair that a situation like this has occurred where Alpine has done an awful lot of bad treatment from a contractual point of view of someone like Piastri they haven't shown faith in him in terms of they've hesitated on giving him the contract and hesitated on um, when they're going to promote him to the works team and, and, and all of this. He, I understand, told Alpine of his intentions and yet he's the one who ends up being publicly outed. It's, it's Alpine that goes to the extraordinary length of announcing him without his permission or consent. Um and it's Alpine that then start publicly questioning his integrity. And I just, I do, honestly, I have a real problem with that. I, I, I do not think that is a professional way to, to, to go about things. Even if you thought your position, your legal position was really strong, you don't do that. Because as it turns out, the CRB decision shows that it's McLaren who had the really strong position in all of this. And how much did you hear from McLaren during August about all this, Ed? Very, very little. In fact, absolutely nothing. They've been very, very rigorous in batting away any questions about Piastri, even over the Belgian Grand Prix weekend. Andreas Seidel, when he was asked about it, was ultra-professional. He wouldn't talk about anything. He wouldn't even say something that could be interpreted as a hint about something. So I think they've been on the money. People will paint McLaren as, as the bad guys, but yeah, they've dropped Ricardo because Ricardo hasn't delivered. Ricardo understands what the game is. He's had plenty of opportunities in the past because he's delivered and others haven't. He's on the wrong side of that now, but that's what happens and he's being paid off. And McLaren has seized on the opportunity to pick up a driver it sees as the ideal replacement. And it's been able to do that because of a rival team's weakness and ineptitude in making sure they had the driver fully under contract. It's all well and good talking about how much you've invested in a driver, what they owe you. But the other side of it is you've invested a lot. You protect your investment by getting everything together and doing things right. And it's very, very clear this hasn't happened. There's um, there's one thing on that point that I just wanted to add, which is that um, there's been a couple of suggestions that, oh, this will put off big manufacturers and in investing in young drivers because someone else can just swoop in like this, which I just find an absolutely nonsense uh, proposition because no no big manufacturer that's spending this much money on a driver should leave their that driver out of contract because ultimately Piastri was a was a free agent for 2023 because he had signed nothing for 2023 and beyond and yeah might well have been an intention to do that but i think you i think alpine eroded a lot of the, the a lot of the trust that piastri could have had in that process certainly his management could have had in that process to, for it to be c- conducted competently so I, I just find it nonsense because I can't imagine Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull getting into this position. I think it's I think I don't think it's exposed generous manufacturers that just want to invest in young talent. It's exposed Lauren Rossi and this Alpine organization, which uh it it's doing a lot of really, really good things to become an absolute top F one team again and on track. And in the factory at Enstone and actually at the factory at Viri as well, lots of progress being made, going really in the right direction. But this was this was a glimpse of that absolute slightly chaotic mismanagement that has characterized the Renault Works team since it came back on the grid in twenty sixteen. And this was sort of the closest thing to a serial moment, I think, that that Lauren Rossi's had. Yeah, it's just 
a lesson in getting things right and doing your job properly. Yes, Piastri and his management have been somewhat selfish, you could argue, but their job and Piastri's job is to get the best opportunity and the best career move. So they've done nothing wrong. Everybody knows that's the game. McLaren have signed an out-of-contract driver because they think he's the right one to sign. I don't see there's any problem with that. That's the nature of things. And in the midst of time, people are going to look back on this and either they'll think it was a good decision by Piastri or a bad decision based on how McLaren and Alpine do over the coming seasons. But I completely get why it's happened and, and how it's happened. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Let's have a quick look at the other repercussions. It means Alpine are without a driver. They've got Esteban Ocon still under contract to the end of next year. But we do think they're getting close to Pierre Gasly. Where exactly is that deal to extract him from Red Bull potentially right now? Uh, so as we understand it, I believe that 
Red Bull have uh, have identified what the the terms would need to be to to release Gasly from his AlphaTauri contract in 2023, and I believe that Alpine has basically said that that's agreeable. Um, I don't think anything's happened in terms of Alpine actually paying Red Bull. Um, I suspect they wanted to wait for the CRB ruling to be 100% sure. Um, and I think there's obviously the matter of getting everyone together, agreeing a ghastly contract, which I think will be a formality, but I think it's basically, it's not a done deal because I don't think anything has been signed. I don't imagine we're going to have any announcement this weekend. Maybe we'll have one in time for Monza, but it might drag on a little bit beyond that. Um, but it, it will be ghastly. Um, Alpha Tauri, uh, Red Bull are happy to, to let him go because... He's out of contract at the end of 23 and all signs point to him walking away at the end of that contract anyway. So gas- so I think Red Bull are kind of looking at this as almost like a um, a football team looks at an out-of-contract player as a sellable asset before they get into the final year of their contract. Um, I think it sort of says that Red Bull don't really have particularly great sporting expectations and intentions with their sister team because ultimately they will be replacing Gasly with a lesser driver. Um and I think it probably speaks to the expectations that Rebel have of Alpha Tauri in that maybe the car's not going to be good enough anyway for you to really notice if you've got a lesser driver in it. Um, it does sound like uh, the the priority is to get Colton Herter in the car, uh, but I think whatever happens in terms of who Alpha Tauri have next year, probably alongside Yuki Tsunoda... I don't think there's a question about whether Pierre Gasly will be there or not. I think he's definitely going to Alpine and it's just a, a matter of time. Yeah, unless something derails those talks. But it seems like they've got the the main thing sorted out, which will be the number that they need to pay for his, uh, his services to have him released. And Gasly's going to agree terms, isn't he? Because the time is absolutely right for him to move. And I think an upwardly mobile works team like Alpine is probably as good as he could possibly hope to get into so it's the logical move for him at the right time but it does raise some interesting questions about Ricardo. I've argued that Ricardo would be the obvious choice for Alpine yes he is somewhat damaged goods but he gives you a, a big upside he's had success there before and there's every chance he could get back to something approaching the driver we know if he moved there it seems that Alpine don't want him so what does this mean for Ricardo's future and, and why do you think Alpine don't seem to be interested in that? Yeah, that's a uh, it's a difficult one to because on paper Ricardo does just look like the best option. Um, I think I think it's now clear that Alpine don't want Ricardo. I think from a company point of view, they don't want to take a, a McLaren reject. I don't think they want to bring back someone also who has spurned them. I don't think the fact that Ricardo left two years ago was the absolute nail in the coffin, but I think that aligned to the fact that he has been, uh, he is a McLaren reject now. And there's a question mark over what level you'd get from him. Maybe that's just enough as a sort of combination of factors to, to just be not particularly appealing. Um, So his options are Williams or Haas for a race drive or something like trying to become Merck's test driver test and reserve driver role that kind of thing stay stay within the sport get some days in an absolute top car get some experience working inside another top organization and who knows if you go to Merck and you're their reserve driver and Lewis Hamilton walks away at the end of his current contract at the end of 2023 I mean okay he wasn't stunning for McLaren 
But if you've got Ricardo on your books for a year and you've got to see him up close and you think like he's not a bad person to slot in for, for Hamilton, is he, for example? So Ricardo could look at things like that. I think whatever he does now, it's all about putting him in the best place for 2024. Um, I'd actually asked him about this on Thursday and he, and he agreed. He, he, he said he, he said he knew where I was coming from and um, that if it's a sabbatical because that's just the best thing for him, clear his head and then come back with a strong deal when the market's a bit more favourable for 24, he's up for that. Um, if he thinks that like Hass or Williams offers a project that's actually interesting in the short term as well as the medium long term because he doesn't want to just be hanging around for a few years running at the back of the grid, then he'd consider that as well. So I think he's keeping his options open, but um, it's a, it, it will be a step down the grid for Ricardo next year, maybe even a, a step off it. Yeah, well, he just needs to consider what the best options for him are. Let's see if he's heard your sales pitch for Williams that you did on our podcast when we talked about McLaren deciding to get rid of him. But yeah, some interesting decisions for Ricardo to make and some interesting options, I would say. And of course, the rest of the driver market, it's interesting, has to have a few other options. Mick Schumacher seems to be on his way out there. Nico Hulkenberg's a contender. So is Antonio Giovinazzi. So there's a few other players in it, but the fact there's so few experienced contenders for any seats, I think supports your suggestion that Ricardo could take himself out for a year and be in a good position to come back in because there's so few experienced proven options. And although Ricardo's had two bad seasons with McLaren, he's had a lot of good seasons elsewhere. So that's going to have value for any team looking at potential options, but certainly it seems not to be Alpine. Well, thanks very much, Scott, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read about Piastri there. And to make it even easier to read, you can now download the Race app for free. And make sure you head to the Race Live Hub for all of our coverage from Zanvoort and check out our other podcasts like Bring Back V10s and our YouTube channel. We're turning our attention now more to on-track matters, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the Dutch Grand Prix. The Athletic.